As employers, insurers, and physicians look toward keeping consumers and patients healthy, medical care providers are looking at whether health care reform means the need for doctors to develop a wellness strategy. You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Dennis Richling. Dr. Richling is a senior medical director and vice president at the Trustmark Companies, a national provider of medical benefits, claims administration, and wellness programs for employers across the country. Prior to joining Trustmark in 2009, Dr. Richling served as medical director for wellness for Allier and medical director of health improvement for Matria, which was acquired by Allier in 2008. Dr. Richling has received numerous awards and honors and was once awarded the prestigious C. Everett Coop Award when he was chief medical officer of the Union Pacific Railroad. Dr. Richling received his medical degree from Creighton University School of Medicine in Omaha. He is also a graduate of the Harvard Business School's Program for Management Development. We're so happy to have him joining us today. Dr. Dennis Richling, welcome to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Thank you, Bruce. Well, it's great to have you here, and it's kind of exciting with healthcare reform. And I think that if you could tell us a little bit about Trustmark and about how Trustmark and some of the new and existing things that it's offered, what are sort of the wellness trends that you're seeing and the programs that they have? Well, I think there's a couple of different approaches to improving the health status of individuals. One of them is those without diseases being identifying risks that they may have and trying to prevent diseases from starting or preventing diseases from progressing from very early stages. A lot of this is around managing weight, looking at lifestyle decisions around nutrition, exercise, smoking. The other area where there's been even a more emphasis more recently is in the area of identifying how people with diseases can improve their health status by taking better care of themselves and following the treatment plan of their physicians more fully. And our interest has been to add services into our insurance services that would provide notification to members of when they have missed preventive measures, when they're not complying with their treatment plans. And the newest company we've started working with, Health Fitness Corporation, offers on-site fitness staffing for large employers, Fortune 500 companies, as well as wellness services to those companies. And by doing that, the companies we work with are able to demonstrate cost savings related to health costs by prevention of diseases and able to demonstrate improved health status of their population. Now, it's not so much, though, that a employer has to have a gym or a fitness center, or maybe they're doing this, because it seems like worksite wellness programs have been around for decades. Are they doing things that are new, or maybe you could give our listeners an idea of what some of the basic programs have, and also where they're headed? I mean, I know that there are some employers that have actually had physicians as medical directors, as you were at the Union Pacific Railroad a long time ago. Is that trend escalating? What are we going to see more of? Well, I think that, as you said, these programs have been around for decades, and unfortunately so have I, and I've seen a lot of development in how these programs have gone over the years. The companies who have been most successful find ways of integrating into their environments healthy behaviors as part of a culture, 
And that's done in several different ways. First, as a company, you need to understand what your risks are in your population. And most often they do some type of measurement by using a written survey tool or an online survey tool that is probably more generally known as a health risk appraisal or a health assessment. And these identify the risks of the population. It allows companies also to understand what the risks are in their population so they can target programs at the areas where there's highest risk. And that will vary by company and also by region of the country. Then there are usually programs that are offered. They're usually around nutrition, physical activity. It isn't always a gym. Sometimes it's just walking trails. I've seen programs that have had kind of peer or a group dynamic for encouraging people to take 10,000 steps a day, a variety of different programs around physical activity. There's also oftentimes a nutritional component. Dietitians may come in and do brown baggers, or it also includes alignment of policies. We have seen companies that have taken their cafeterias and not remove what would be considered unhealthy choices, but really bring in healthy choices and maybe even create incentives by preferential pricing for healthier foods. So you will also see in these companies, one of the key things you see is there's a lot of emphasis around local committees and local people getting involved because it is really the peer-to-peer interaction kind of encouraging each other to be more healthy that has a huge impact on whether a company ultimately achieves reductions in health risks. Well, that is interesting when you talk about the sort of peer-to-peer. And when you think of the physician's role, I mean, a physician can really be an advocate for wellness. I mean, how viable is adding a wellness component for doctors? Are these the kind of services that are reimbursable by insurance? Do employers link their doctors in? How does that work? Well, I think that the physician's role in wellness for their patients is critical. One of the keys to changing health behaviors is a belief that you really need to do it. And you have to have a trusted resource. Doctors are very trusted by their patients. And they're also seen as competent. So one of the best things they can do is recommend changes to their patients. Part of healthcare reform, there's been an initiative known as patient-centered medical home, which is really trying to expand the role of physicians traditionally have had in the last probably couple of decades to really getting back to providing the full range of clinical services that an individual may need, including educational programs. In this way, the physicians can take care of the clinical preventive measures, which are things like screenings, mammograms, and those kinds of tests that have to be done clinically. And those people with risks or early disease, they can provide education in their office. Now, in the past, that hasn't been paid for by many of the insurance providers. But I think the direction is to try to find a way to start putting into the payment structure for those services to be offered. Now, the challenge will be, as having spent several decades in trying to deploy wellness programs through populations, is that those educational engagements have limited ability to reach people. And they'll have to partner with community resources or other organizations to provide the kind of ongoing support an individual needs to make a behavioral change. Well, if you're just joining us, or even if you're new to our channel, you're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Dennis Richling. He's an executive with the Trustmark Companies, which is a health benefits company that is 
pushing wellness. A lot of companies, health insurers, are going to be pushing wellness. It was a big part of healthcare reform. And we were just talking to Dr. Richling about the challenges, if you will, and the fact that reimbursement has not always been there. And I know that's been a complaint of physicians. And you were saying that you think there will be more of this, but yet the physicians will probably be linking with community groups. Is that correct? I think in order to form the most effective outcomes for their patients, that we will have to come up with new strategies on connecting physician offices with the community resources. In order to change a behavior, there are three components that are needed, and that is the individual needs to be aware they need to make a difference, different behavior. They need to have the skills to make those differences, and traditional kinds of educational programs teach the skills. But the third component we see when we look at years of experience of trying to change behaviors is really the motivation. And in traditional medical settings, one of the biggest motivators is fear or concern about one's health. And when somebody gets a new diagnosis of a disease or gets a serious illness, there's a great deal of fear and motivation to change. When it's lifestyle related, much of that motivation is not there. So you have to really understand individuals' needs, their values, and also what they view as the costs of keeping the con- of their particular lifestyle and the benefits of moving to a new lifestyle. Are there any good examples out there that medical care providers can follow that where either it's a physician's practice, maybe a hospital system, or an employer where everybody is on the same page in wellness? Or is this something that is um, continuing to evolve? Or are we not there yet? Well, I think there are some good examples of provider groups that have really moved very far along the pathway of improving the health outcomes of their patients. Those groups are groups like Kaiser Health Partners out of Minneapolis. The challenge is those are very large groups. They're somewhat closed systems. And most of medicine is not practiced in that format in this country. So what we have to do is to find ways of taking the examples that were there and we learn from those organizations and deploy those into the communities that most people live in and most physicians practice in. I think that we saw a number of studies that were done around a research project that Dr. Ed Wagner did called the chronic care model where there were collaboratives formed within cities to provide better quality care with very positive outcomes. In many of those circumstances, one of the challenges, however, is that there wasn't the funding to support it and that there wasn't support of the physician practice to provide those kinds of services. The $64,000 question usually is the funding. I know that healthcare reform is in process and will be implemented, even though it's been passed. Where will there be money for physicians, employers, anybody to implement a wellness strategy, if indeed this is going to be one of the key movements in healthcare? Well, I think that a lot of the opportunities yet remains to be defined. The healthcare reform legislation is still pretty general, and really the details will come in the regulations. But looking at a high level, I think there's a strong emphasis on physicians, the patient-centered medical home, and the development of pilot projects around the patient-centered medical home. And I think the opportunity exists for physicians either forming partnerships with external vendors that may be able to provide kind of an ongoing series of programs to their patients, that things they cannot do in the office, and really tie that into a patient-centered medical home model. I think that's one of the things I can foresee coming out of the current healthcare reform. If you were a physician now, 
what would you do? I mean, would you move beyond your insurance company relationship to a local employer, a community group? Could you walk us through perhaps maybe an example of something you might do? Well, Bruce, you've got me there. I'm, I'm not <laughs> sure if I was in private practice right now what I would do. But employers are clearly, Trustmark's clients, for example, are probably saying, well, wellness, that's great. If you can keep my workers out of the hospital, costing money, we're all for it. Anything you can do for that is great. I'm sure that the employers are probably well ahead of everybody else on this. And they are. And in some circumstances, there are some of our clients who have many of their employees going to a small group of providers. And I have seen efforts to reach out to those providers or the providers to reach out to the employers to establish innovative pilot programs where the education can be done in the office and can be tied into the employer. And so they're working hand in glove to look for solutions to improve the health status of those employees or the doctor's patients. Basically what you're saying is the employer might go to the physician's group and say, we'll provide you some money, more reimbursement, if you do X, Y, and Z. Is that how it works? That's correct. And probably the model that we've seen is not directly tied to physicians, but it's something similar could be done in a physician's office, is what we've seen with pharmacists and the what was called the Asheville Project. Where in North Carolina, right? In North Carolina, where the pharmacists did some of the education and actually joined with the employers to be compensated for that educational intervention. And that became a way of managing chronic diseases more effectively. And they had some very good results. Now, I've seen that. That was deployed through many locations throughout the U.S. In fact, one of those had occurred in Chicago. And I've seen some employers engage in that. And there's been value in that. That same kind of thing could occur within a physician's office and using a health educator. Particularly in practices that can employ an individual to be a health educator, those kinds of things could be implemented. Would you advise physicians to work through their insurance company or their employer and say, hey, you know, if I had a little more reimbursement, I might be able to spend some more time with patients, workers? I would encourage the physicians to approach either employer or insurance companies looking for pilots. I think there's an opportunity to start working through small projects because I don't think we have the perfect answer for how to support and fund these kinds of activities currently. And it's going to take a trial and error period to really learn how to do it well. Well, with that, I would like to thank Dr. Dennis Richling, who's been our guest. He's the Senior Medical Director and Vice President at the Trustmark Companies, a large national provider of medical benefits. And we've been talking about wellness programs and wellness as a business strategy. You'll be hearing much more of this in the years to come as healthcare reform is implemented across the country. I'm Bruce Japson. I've been your host, and you've been listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on the air. Please check us out at www.reachmd.com. And I'd like to thank you today for listening.